The scripture reading today is Luke uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 20, and it starts on page 1014 in your pew Bibles. Right? Yes. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of... I'm sorry. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen which were just as they had been told. Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. Can you hear me okay? Okay. I hope that you all uh, had an opportunity this morning to open presents. We started a half an hour late, hopefully to give you time to open presents. And if you think about it, opening presents is sort of the climax of a story that begins, well, I guess on Black Friday. Uh, it's a story that we relive each, each year, right? We, we buy presents, and then the presents get wrapped, and they get placed under the tree, and we start dreaming about what could be underneath that tree. What, what is in that, that box with the green wrapping paper, the green with Snoopy uh, wrapping paper with the red bow on it, you know, what, what's, in that, what's in that box that dad must have wrapped uh, because he completely misjudged how much paper to use, and so there's an extra wad on the side that has lots of tape over it, right? And then, and then wait a minute, what is, whoa, what is that box? That red, wait a minute, I know what that is. So you have this moment where you see that box, 
and you know what it is. You go over and, 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 and you, you pick it up and you're like, yes, yes. My wife got me the iPod, iPad Air 2 for Christmas. The iPad Air 2 is right here in this box. This is the one. It's, it's thinner and lighter than the one before. It's got, a, you know, an, an A8X uh, uh, second-generation chip with 24-bit desktop arts class technology. I mean, you've read up on this whole thing. And there it is. There it is in that box that your wife got for you, the iPad, I, iPad Air 2. And so you, you, put it, you put it back under the tree, and you run upstairs, and you give your wife a big kiss, say, I love you, and she's like, I love you too. And then as the story goes, you know, you're, you're just, you're waiting with expectation. And, and, and when you go to work, you just can't stop thinking about your iPad Air 2 that's coming. And, and, and you just keep thinking about, well, when I, when I ride the bus home from work, I can watch football on my new iPad Air 2. And, and I can download all of my movies because it's got, you know, all of this memory. And you're just dreaming about all these things you're going to do when you get your iPad Air 2. And, and so you're just counting down the days looking at that red present every single day when you get up. And then finally, finally that day comes, right? Finally Christmas Day comes. And of course, normally, how does Christmas start? Normally Christmas starts with you hearing little feet, right? Little feet galloping down the hallway, banging on the door. Mommy, Daddy, it's Christmas. But this year, it's, it's you jumping out of bed and you're galloping down the hallway like a dinosaur, and you're waking the kids up, and come on, let's go downstairs, let's open presents, and you go down, and then you, you know, you, you, you know, you're the man, so you wait patiently, you know, you let your kids open their presents first, and, and then you let your wife open her presents first, and, and then finally, it's your opportunity, this moment, the climax that you've been waiting for, and you go, and, and you open up the present, and you reach in there, and it's a pair of underwear. Your wife got you a pair of underwear for Christmas. And yes, it's thinner and lighter than the pair you had last year. But really, I mean, I mean, Chris, what could be more anticlimactic than a pair of underwear on Christmas? Today we're continuing our series called The Story. And the central theme of this entire series is that if you want to understand any passage in the Bible, you've got to understand how it fits into the story. You've got to see how it fits into the overarching narrative of Scripture, that the Bible is not primarily a a book of timeless truths. Uh, The Bible is not an instruction manual for life, though it it contains all of the wisdom and all of the instructions that you would ever need. But if you want to get at that wisdom and if you want to get at those instructions for life out of any passage, you've got to see how that passage fits into this overarching narrative, this overarching story. And so we've been going through that story since July. We've been working through the Bible, working through it uh, since July, going through different parts of this story and, and watching it build. You see, you see, every story has a climax. Every story has a climax. And, and, and so what's happening, any good story does anyways, those ones you get really bored in, it's because nothing's going anywhere. It's not building towards anything. But the good stories, they're all building towards a climax. And, and, and that's what we've been seeing is the, it's, it's this story that's pushing 
closer and closer and closer to this tension, and then finally this, this climax. And so everything points to it. Everything before the climax points to it, and everything after the climax flows out of it. And so finally today, Christmas, we come to the climax. Actually, we are introduced to the climax. Because the climax itself is really a story in and of itself. It's sort of a story within a story. The, the climax is the life of Jesus. That's the climax, and that in and of itself is a, a story, right? So, so the climax really is this story that goes from the manger to the cross, from Jesus' birth to his death and his resurrection. That whole thing is the climax. But, so, so we're being introduced to the climax of this story. And what we discover, as, as we come here to the story of Christmas, as Luke tells us, here's what we discover, is that God uses the anticlimactic as his climax. God uses the anticlimactic as his climax. And, and what's interesting is that Luke doesn't even try to hide how anticlimactic this really is. He doesn't even try to hide it. In fact, he emphasizes it. He wants us to see just how anticlimactic this this really is. And the way he introduces us to to how anticlimactic this is, is he hints, he suggests at what the climax ought to be. He gives just a little hint to say, you know, this is what the climax really ought to be. And what he wants us very subtly to see is that the climax ought to be a whole lot more like Augustus than Jesus. The climax ought to be a whole lot more like Augustus than Jesus. You see, in this passage, Jesus introduces us to these two individuals, Augustus and Jesus, and he he puts them side by side, right next to each other. And this is intentional because he's hinting, he's hinting at what the climax ought to look like. It ought to look like Augustus. Now, he does not say a lot about Augustus in this passage, right? He hardly says anything about him, right? And the reason probably, I mean, this is functioning, he, he references this for a number of different reasons from a literary standpoint, but probably one of the reasons why he doesn't say a whole lot about Augustus is because in the first century, you did not need to say a whole lot about Augustus. All you had to do was say the word Augustus, and everybody knew what it meant. To say the word Augustus in first century Roman world would be a little bit like saying Mufasa in the pride lands of the African Sahara. Augustus. (laughs) Say it again. (laughs) Augustus. (laughs) Say it again. You see, Augustus, Caesar Augustus, was the most powerful man in history. Up until this point, he was by far the most powerful man, really, probably, that had ever lived. Caesar Augustus is the one who who started the Roman Empire. What did you do with your life? I started the Roman Empire. He turned it from a republic into an empire. He, He brutally consolidated all of his power and he became the first Roman, first Roman emperor, and, and in fact, he, he ushered in uh, this era of peace known as Pax Romana. You've heard of that, Pax Romana. That's Caesar Augustus. He ushered in the peace of Rome, and, 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 and get this, his, uh, he was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. And when Julius Caesar was killed, uh, he, 
many saw him as divine, saw him as divine, as, as godlike. And so, so Augustus said, yes, my adopted father was, was divine, so that makes me the son of God. L- listen to what one New Testament scholar, N.T. Wright, says about Augustus and what happened when he came to power. Poets wrote songs about the new era that had begun. Historians told the long story of Rome's rise to greatness, reaching its climax with Augustus himself. Augustus, people said, was the savior of the world. He was its king, its lord. You see, Caesar Augustus was what the climax ought to be. He was called the Prince of Peace. He was called Savior and Lord. He ushered in Pax Romana. He ushered in, you know, when we went, we've been going through this series, and we've been looking at what the Old Testament prophets said would happen when the King came, when the Messiah came. And, and, and what is it? It's that he's going to bring peace. He's going to bring shalom, right? The, the, the kingdom, will, the, the, the government will be upon his shoulders, and, and, and he will bring everlasting peace. And, and so, so what, what Luke is showing is, yeah, th- this is what it ought to look like. It ought to look like Augustus. You see, that's, that's the climax, but, but then, then there's Jesus, right? So he puts him right next to him, right next to him. And then, then there's Jesus in contrast. Jesus, you know, born in a stable or a cave or whatever. There's debates about exactly what it was. But, you know, he, he's born in a manger in an a, a animal eating trough, a trough that animals ate out of. He was surrounded by shepherds. Shepherds were, you know, not much uh, higher up on the social ladder than maybe homeless people in our day. And, and, and that's it. It's just, it's just Jesus in a manger in a, an, a, a feeding trough surrounded by, by shepherds. That's it. I mean, it's actually important to know that the angels never came to the manger. The angels never came. I know you, you think they did. We put that in all of our our little scenes and whatnot, but, but actually the, ma- the angels never actually came to the manger. They, they tell the shepherds to go to the manger. They come to the shepherds and tell them to go to the manger, but the, she- the angels never go there. There's nothing that majestic there at the scene. And, and, and then the wise men, whoever they were, uh, they didn't show up till later anyways, right? So, so when you get the whole nativity scene, the little thing you've got on your mantle, and you, you get the angels and the wise men and the shepherds, and you get them all together there with Jesus, you got to realize that what's going on there is a little bit like that family picture that you take at the end of a family vacation. You know, where you, you get everybody together for a picture, but you all know that during the vacation, you are never together. Right? I mean, the, you know, the kids were playing in the pool, and the, the, the moms were, I don't know, you know, reading magazines on the beach or, or going running or whatever it was, and, and, then the, and then the men are off scuba diving or I don't know what they're doing. But you're, you're, not, you're not with each other. Hey, everybody, let's get together for a picture at the end, right? right? So this is just a picture to kind of remind us about the sea. But they were, never, they were never there. No, Jesus, he was just kind of, kind of just surrounded by shepherds eating from a, an animal's feeding trough. It, it, what would that be like? If we, if we were to draw sort of a contemporary analogy, what would it be like if, if Jesus came, was here, and if the Christmas story had happened today, and, and what would it look like even maybe in comparison to Augustus again? And I might say something like this. Jesus is born in a trash can in a back alley in downtown Manhattan. Jesus is born in, in, an, in an alley 
the trash can in, in downtown Manhattan, you know, the kind of alley, where, alley where, where Bruce Wayne's parents were murdered. That, that's, where he, that's where he was born, right? So, so, and then he's just surrounded by shepherds, surrounded by homeless people. And maybe they've got, a, they've got another trash can that's got a, a, fire, a fire in it. You know, and, 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 and that's Jesus. And then you've, then, you've got, then you've got the skyscrapers owned by the powerful people, right? You've got the skyscrapers owned by, by big, wealthy, powerful people. They're the ones that have the power, not, not Jesus. He's just, he's just born in a trash can. Back alley, downtown Manhattan. And, and this is the contrast that, that Luke, he wants us to see this because what he wants us to see is how unbelievably anticlimactic this is. I mean, this, this, isn't what a, this isn't what a king looks like. A king looks like Caesar Augustus. A king looks like someone who, who comes from money, comes from power. One who, who, you know, has their inscription on their Roman denarii. I mean, that, that's, that's what it looks like to be the king, right? It's incredibly anticlimactic. And so, so we're introduced here to a, a concept that then emerges throughout the Gospels. And that is the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God. You see, what's happening right here is that the kingdom of God is breaking in. This is, what, this is what Luke is going to go on and say throughout this, or Jesus is going to say as recorded throughout the gospel of Luke. It's all about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is common. And remember, what's going on here, it's because, well, the, the, God's presence is coming to flood creation. God's presence is coming back, back to well, remember what it was in creation. This was the idea that in creation, God and Adam and Eve were walking in the garden together, but then because they turned away from God, they said, God, you know, we're not really interested in following you. We'd rather kind of do our own thing. God's like, okay. So then, so then, then we became separated from God. That was the fall, right? And so then, then the, the whole concept of redemption, God calls a people to be the means through which redemption comes. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of speeding up here, telling it all very quickly. And then, and then it comes to Jesus as the representative of those people. And Jesus is coming and he is announcing that the kingdom of God is breaking in. You can't help but note the historical irony of this, right? That the very, the very same time period within 25 years of Jesus announcing that the kingdom of God is breaking in, within 25 years of that is, is the time in which the greatest earthly kingdom, the Roman Empire, was breaking forth. So the, 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 this earthly kingdom of the Roman Empire is breaking forth at exactly the same time. And when Jesus is coming here and saying, the kingdom of God is here, if, if, uh, if Doc Brown from Back to the Future were here, he, you know, he'd say something like this, that in that first century period, it was you know, like the, uh, uh, the, the junction point of the space-time continuum or something like that. Right here at this very time when, when that which represents true earthly power and maybe the, even the kind of power that could really bring peace, uh, Luke comes along here and says, actually, no. That's not your king. That's not your savior. You see, the climax to God's story is, is incredibly anti-climax. So what does this 
mean for us today? Here's what I think it means, first of all. God wants to use your anticlimactic self. God wants to use you and all of your anticlimactic self. How many of us here today feel very anticlimactic? How many of us, we feel like a pair of underwear open on Christmas Day? I mean, you, you, you wanted to be an iPad Air too. I mean, you tried your whole life. You have tried your whole life to be an iPad Air too. But, but boy, you look at where your life is now, and, and you're like, oh, my goodness, I am, I am, I am a pack of underwear. Right? I mean, you, you look at your, maybe you look at your career, and, and you think about where you wanted to be, where you thought you were going to be, and you so thought you were going to be an iPad Air too in your career, and you realize where you are right now, you're a pack of underwear. And maybe you look at your family. I mean, you had these visions and these dreams of what your family would look like. I mean, your family's still solid. I mean, your family's a solid pair of underwear, but, I mean, you're no iPad Air 2. I mean, you just look at your life. You look at your heart. You look at the way you treat people, and you wonder why you treat people that way. You wonder why you find yourself getting angry at people over little things. You wonder why you find yourself getting hurt so easily. You know, I, I'm, just a, I'm just a pack of underwear. And, and you, you know, John Eldridge, he says that every man, every man has this perpetual fear. He goes through life with this perpetual fear of being found out to not be that much of a man at all. He just goes through his life just thinking, how long can I keep up this illusion? Eventually, people are going to realize I'm not really that much of a man at all. And, of course, Eldridge is writing a book to men, but I, I, I think that principle applies to all of us. I think every woman per- perpetually goes through their life sometimes thinking, you know, I hope people don't find I'm not, I'm not really as much of a woman as maybe they think I am. Right? I try to, to put off. I mean, I just I live with this perpetual fear of being discovered for not being quite a woman or as much of a woman as I've led people to believe, or, or maybe not just man or woman, but, but each human being goes through life. Each and every one of us goes through just, you know, waiting to be discovered to not being that great of a person at all. In other words, many of us go through life, if, if, if packs of underwear could, could speak, you know, you, you, we go through life like that pack of underwear that's been wrapped as a present and, and, and put under a tree, and you're, you're under there, and and, and then some guy comes and picks you up, and you hear him say, oh, my goodness, it's an iPad Air 2. And you're like, oh, no. <laughs> I'm so sorry, dude. I am not an iPad Air 2. And you hear him every time he comes down the steps. Each day of Advent, he comes down. He's like, I love you, iPad Air 2. I love you. I can't. And you want to scream. You want to talk, but you're a pack of underwear. You can't say anything. Oh, my gosh, he's going to be. And, and then that day finally comes when he unwraps you, and, and then we all live in that fear. We're going to be found out to be incredibly anticlimactic. You see, friends, the heart of the gospel is that God wants to use you and all of your anticlimactic self. God wants to use you for his purposes and his plans. Your life here isn't a waste, it's not meaningless. It's not without purpose. God has plans for you of eternal value. 
That he, he's called us, he's called to be the means through which renewal and restoration and redemption comes to this world. Remember, this has been one of the central themes of this whole series. So what is the story about? Well, it's about creation. We were created to be in, in, in fellowship with God. We were created to work with him in bringing greater beauty and order to all of creation. But again, we, we said, no, I think I'd rather do my own thing. I think I'll turn away. I don't really trust you anyways. So I'm going to go my own way. And so we, we turned away from God. And so then we, we've seen that virtually the whole Bible is about God calling a people. He calls a people to be the means through which renewal and restoration comes. And, and we've seen that as we've moved through. And then we come to Jesus and we realize that Jesus is the representative of those people. He comes to do what they were unable to do. And he comes to, to, to initiate something by the presence of God uniquely coming in him and breaking, bringing into fruition the kingdom of God. And so he's the representative of God's people. And what that means is that all of us who seek to follow him, you see, it's the same mission. It's the same mission we've been called to be used by God to bring renewal and restoration into all things. And, and get this, the, the, Jesus, the one that he calls, is so anticlimactic. Born in a feeding trough from Palestine, this, this backwater area of the Roman Empire that nobody in Rome thought about. Hey, listen to this. In, in Isaiah, it, it, it talks about the coming of the Messiah. Listen what it says about Jesus. Isaiah 53, verse 2. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. I mean, even his appearance was anticlimactic. You ever felt that way? You just look in the mirror and you're like, that's so anticlimactic. I mean, there's nothing about Jesus. Jesus was incredibly anticlimactic, and, and this was God's representative. This was the people of God's representative, so incredibly anticlimactic. And so, so th- this is what it's sharing us is that God wants to use you and all of your anticlimactic self for his purposes. God wants to use you. God wants to use this church and all of its anticlimacticness. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, our church, by worldly standards, is very anticlimactic. I mean, you didn't come in here and have, you know, police officers directing you into your parking space. Right? I mean, there's, there's no, you know, if you take some NYC NJ tour, tourist tour, you know, you, you start at the Statue of Liberty and then you... You go by Ground Zero, and then you go through Central Park, and you, you zip up you know, the, along the Hudson, and, and, and no bus driver has ever said, and now for our final stop on the tour, Rivervale Community Church. Our, our church, from worldly standards, is incredibly anticlimactic. God wants to use this church and all of its anticlimactic stuff. Why is this? Why does God want to use you and all of your anticlimactic self? Why does God want to use me and all of my anticlimactic self in this church and all of its anticlimactic self? Because here is the heart of the gospel. God has a climactic love for anticlimactic people. If you want to know, like just sum up, what is the Bible? What is the whole Bible about? This whole thing. And distill it into one sentence. This is it. God has a climactic love for anticlimactic people. Because you see, it isn't just Jesus that's anticlimactic. 
It's the people that Jesus comes to. Who does he come to? Who does who do the, do the angel appear to and tell them, go, go see Jesus? Does he, does he appear to Caesar? No, he appears to shepherds. They're like homeless people. You see, it, it's not just Jesus that's anticlimactic. It's the people that, that God sends Jesus to. And then you find throughout Jesus' ministry, I mean, Jesus' ministry is just like a who's who of anticlimactic people that he meets with. If you, if you were to you know, sort of talk with the people that Jesus uh, you know, interacts with in the Gospels. It's like, hey, so how are you doing? You know, tell me your story. Tell me your story. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, I'll tell you my story. Uh, I'm a prostitute. Um, I make my living sleeping with men I've never met. How about that? How climactic is that? Oh, oh, what, what, how are you? What, what's your, your story? You've been hanging out with Jesus. What's your story? Oh, yeah, you want to hear my story? I'm a leper. I spend virtually every day quarantined. I'm not allowed to go into town. I sit around waiting for my skin to fall off. That's, that's my story. <laughs> hey, what's, what's your story? What's your story? Oh, oh, you want to know my story? Um, I have spent my entire life, my entire life has just been an exercise in futility. My son is sick. My son is sick. He seems to be possessed by some demon or something, and, and he go falls to the ground and foams at the mouth. And, and I've done everything. I mean, I'm, you know, I've, I've taken him to everybody I can see, every healer, every doctor. I'm trying to do everything I can, and nothing that I do is helping. My whole life, I'm pouring into my son, and, and nothing that I do helps or works. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like your entire life is just an exercise in futility? That no matter what you do, nothing ever works, nothing ever happens? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's my story. Oh, and Jesus, yeah. So, yeah, here's, here's my son. Here's my son, and, and I'm bringing him to you, and, and I was wondering, could you help him? Could you heal him? Could you make him better? But i got to be honest with you, Jesus, I don't believe you can do it. That's what he said. It's like, I... I, I I don't, I don't believe you can do it. I mean, not only are my actions anticlimactic, my faith is anticlimactic. It's not just what I do that's, that's, that's futile and pathetic. I mean, even my faith, I don't even have climactic faith. Even that's anticlimactic. You see, these are the people that Jesus reveals himself to because Jesus has a climactic love for anticlimactic. As we, as we go home and we celebrate the rest of Christmas, it's just that simple. And my prayer for you is that whatever, whatever you're going through, whatever you're dealing with right now, whatever part of your story just is stuck and can't get out, whatever part of your life just feels incredibly anticlimactic, I just pray above anything else that you would know that you have a God who loves you with a climactic love. Let's pray. Dear God, we praise you this morning for your goodness. God, we praise you for your abundant love for us, Lord. God, I I pray for those right now who feel incredibly insecure. I pray for those who maybe sometimes wonder 
what the point of life is anymore. I pray for those whose marriages are falling apart. God, I pray for those who they don't know it yet, but their marriages are going to fall apart. God, I pray that when they sit in the ashes of that failure, oh God, they would realize that you love them in all of their anticlimactic self. That your love for us isn't based on what we accomplish. Your love for us isn't based on what we do with our careers. Your love for us isn't based on our appearance. Your love for us isn't based on any of those things, God. Your love for us is based entirely upon grace. God, may we rest in the truth that the story of the Bible, the story of history, finds its climax in your gracious love. Pray all this in Jesus' name.